Hi, I'm Casey Mraz, and you're listening to the Lawyer Mastermind Podcast, where we help attorneys grow their law firms by interviewing experts who can fast track their success. Thank you, everyone, for joining us at the Lawyer Mastermind Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Joy Hawkins, the owner and president of Sterling Sky, a Google My Business product expert, the owner of Local U, and the owner of the Local Search Forum. Joy, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, you know, I think you're really well in, known in the local search community and pretty much from anybody that follows local search. Um, a lot of attorneys, whether or not they're new to internet marketing, may have not heard of you yet. But let's go ahead and start off with something in your title there kind of makes you stand out from a lot of other people that work in this industry and local SEO. And that is go, a business product expert. Can you kind of tell our audience what that means? Yeah, so Google has um, online help forums for all their various products. So the one that I um, am a moderator on is the uh, Google My Business Forum. So basically their forums are all run by a group of volunteers. So we have um, access to Google employees when we need to escalate issues and stuff, but um, you'll rarely see Google employees actually like responding and communicating on the threads. It's all done by a group of volunteers. Um, and then once you are active for a long time and you have answers that are helpful to users, um, they kind of promote you. So um, the group that I'm in, they're called Product Experts. It takes a lot of effort to get in there. I want to say it took me two years of kind of consistent posting with lots of answers. Um, and that was back in 2012 when I got promoted there. Um, and then, yeah, like it's, it's great. Cause I mean, I get to have regular hangouts with, with members on the Google team, um, that oversee Google, my business. So it's a good place to have, uh, conversations about what we like and don't like. Um, but it is definitely a lot of like ongoing, you know, work that we're basically kind of Google, my business support workers almost that are not paid kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Yeah. And, you know, I looked into this like I think years ago I was like oh what do I have to do to kind of you know get known and looking at the work involved at the time I was like I really can't commit to this so really you've put in just hours and hours for years of really helping people to get here right yeah it honestly has to be like a hobby like if it's something you enjoy doing and you really like getting in there for me it's like a challenge I'm like ooh, I've got some puzzles to solve and it's, it's always unique issues that come up new issues that come up. So it's kind of helpful for me to know what's going on and like what the current trends are as well, but you really have to enjoy it. Like it has to be something you want to do even off work hours. For sure. That's funny how you say it's like a hobby. I love that. But you know, that's probably what makes you so good at it. It's, and it's helped you kind of see so many different areas and problems that people have had. Do you see a lot of like one-off issues that people experience or are they a lot of the same problems being repeated? Definitely a lot of the same problems being repeated. And, and those problems change with time, right? So the forum is a good way to find out if there's like bugs, like um, one that's currently a technical issue that's currently going on is like uh, in the Google My Business dashboard, photo views aren't working. So people are wondering why they had all these photo views and then they flatlined a few weeks ago. That's a technical issue. So there's lots of people complaining about that same issue. So the forum is kind of a good place to see that. Uh, but usually we see trends that are either 
current issues or there are issues that people are just always facing like negative reviews. That's one that's never going to go away. We're always going to see a high volume of threads about people complaining about how to get rid of their negative reviews. <laughs> um, it's kind of variation of both. Sure. And, you know, for the people listening right now, can you talk a little bit about negative reviews? If, if I'm a law firm and somebody's left a negative review, is there any way I can get that removed? There sometimes is. So we actually have like a list internally of like reviews that usually we can get removed. And one of the first things we do when we get a new client is to look through their older reviews to find out if any of those kind of qualify. Um, so some like in particular that we've been successful with are um, uh, employees leaving reviews. So, you know, if it's like an ex-employee that they fired, uh, those are not allowed. So if we can get substantial evidence through the person's profile um, that they worked there, and if they say they worked there in the review itself, then usually we can get those removed. Um, as well, if they reviewed multiple locations, that's usually another one we can get removed. So if your law firm has six locations and this person leaves a one-star uh, review on all six, it's pretty easy to make a case to Google that they did not actually uh, go to all six locations, <laughs> um, you know, different for restaurants, but mm -hmm. for, for things like law firms, we can usually get those removed. Um, and like a more recent example would be any reviews uh, referencing like COVID kind of political stuff. Uh, Google has deemed that mask comments are political in nature and they remove those as well. So if someone's like, oh, I went to this place and they made me wear a mask or, or vice versa, uh, those types of reviews will get removed too. Oh, okay, got it. That makes sense. And then, so what if it's just like a general bad review? I worked with your business and I, as the attorney, just don't like that review. Any recourse mm -hmm. there? <laughs> Not really. Um, the, the only time that I think we've had success with those kind of ones that don't really violate Google's guidelines in the actual context of the review is if it is actually like a competitor that's um, going after a business and leaving them lots and lots of negative reviews. Um, I've definitely seen a few of those where Google has removed them. Um, but if it's just a one-off case and it's a customer that you irritated, um, no, those, those generally don't get removed. Got it. And then as far as reviews go, I know we've just started talking about Google My Business. Is there anywhere else that attorneys should be cautious of where they're getting reviews or anywhere else that they should focus on? Or is it just Google? Yeah, so I see any site where they have review stars on Google. So if you do a, a search for your law firm name on Google, any of the sites that show up that have stars on them in the search results, those are ones I would focus on. Um, and you can also do some searches for some of your competitors' brand names to kind of get some ideas. But I think ones that come to mind are like Avo, Yelp, Facebook, um, and there's, there's definitely a few others. But um, Yelp is probably the most tricky because you're not actually supposed to solicit uh, reviews on Yelp. <laughs> yeah. The way that we do it here, it's kind of funny. So um, when I'm sending uh, a customer an email to ask them for, to review Sterling Sky, I'll, I'll literally say like, okay, here's our link on um, Facebook and Google and you can leave us reviews there, but we don't ask for reviews on Yelp because that's against their guidelines. And every now and again, we'll get someone who's like, oh, I'm just going to go review you on Yelp even though you didn't ask. <laughs> um, but that one's a tough one. Wow. That's actually really good advice. And I don't think I have heard that one before. And I, you know, I spent <laughs> a lot of time dealing with reviews, but I love that actually. It's kind of almost like reverse psychology mm -hmm. right there in front of them. Wow. Okay. That's a good little pro tip there. So write that one down. So reviews are important. I think, I think a lot of people know that they know how important they are facing the customer. What about as far as rankings go? Do they have an impact as far as 
as your visibility goes and, and ranking for important keywords in Google My Business? Yeah, I've seen the ranking impact more for longer tailed keywords. You know, if somebody mentions something very specific in the review and that specific thing they're talking about isn't something um, that's, you know, hugely competitive, then we've seen it make a difference. So, you know, for example, like someone's like, I had a spinal cord injury and they're talking about that in the review that might help you rank for, you know, keywords like spinal cord injury lawyer, like the volume of people searching that is obviously really small. So we don't see cases where like you get a whole bunch of people to put car accident lawyer in your reviews. And then all of a sudden you start ranking better for car accident lawyer because they just don't contribute enough to um, the overall ranking factors to make a difference for like really competitive keywords. Um, I would say it's, you know, more of a, um, you want to have a lot of reviews and a lot of good reviews because that helps your click through rate. And that is a huge ranking factor. So if you have an average rating, that's like significantly lower than your competitors, that is really going to hurt your ranking long-term because people aren't as likely to, to call you or click on you. Got it. And what about the average review rating too, since you mentioned that should everybody be aiming for that perfect five all the time? Or is there another number or what's just your experience? Yeah, so a bunch of studies have been done on this. They find 4.5 to 4.8 is actually ideal. Um, and I feel like a hypocrite saying that because, I mean, we have a we have a five-star average, right? I'm not about to go ask people to <laughs> make the reviews to try and get a 4.8. Um, but I, I do think that, like, people definitely obsess about negative reviews a little too much. Like, they get really upset if they get one or two. And to me, I'm like, that's, that's a sign of it, they're real. Um, you know, if I see a firm with a five point average with like 6,000 reviews, there's a lot of red flags that go off in my head um, on if those are, are legit. And that's kind of what the studies show as well. Got it, okay. And then as an owner, you have the option to reply to a review. Is that something that you should do every time? Or especially what if they're angry too, how would you respond to that? Yeah, so I would say almost every time. So there have been a couple cases where the person is like clearly one of those people that like you engage with them, it's gonna just, make things worse. So there are a few cases where, you know, if it's a really irate customer, I do suggest replying offline first, like emailing them, calling them, trying to resolve the issue without replying on Google. Um, but other than that, I would say definitely reply to every single one because the person that left the review will get an email alert. And so it's kind of a nice way just to show them that you appreciate them leaving the review and that you actually saw it. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. And let's dive and transition a little bit to talk about ranking factors, because I know there's just a lot of questions that come up with this. And not too long ago, I had a question or a conversation with a Google rep where he told me the thing I needed to focus on was adding keywords and labels. It's an actual conversation I had. Um, what's your opinion on the top ranking factors and just on labels, too, since I brought that story up? Yeah. Rule number one, never ask anyone that works at Google to give you advice on how to rank. Uh, first, they don't know. And second of all, even if you were talking to the people that did know, like in the engineer you know, section, those, those guys don't talk to you know, people that are calling in. Those are not the people you're getting when you're calling Google My Business Support. Um, even if you could talk to those guys, they're not going to tell you. So, I mean, it's, it's just one of those things you, you never want to listen to Google. So, can safely say that, that that piece of advice about labels is, you know, crap. <laughs> um, labels have no impact on ranking. Uh, there's only four things in Google My Business that actually impact ranking and the rest is all based on your website. So um, I really say, you know, when people want to know where to focus, your site and links are 
the big things that I would focus on. Um, but we do see links have more of an impact organically than in like local pack rankings. So that's kind of interesting, but on-site optimization tactics, like your traditional SEO stuff, that stuff has a huge impact on where you rank in the local pack. Got it. Okay. Well, I'm glad you uh, cleared up the labels thing. I actually tried it just because I knew it was a hundred percent wrong, but you know, when you hear something, you're like, I got to test it anyway, stupid story. Um, okay. So yeah, <laughs> you know, links are something that we talk about all the time on this podcast when it comes to, um, marketing and, you know, helping your organic presence and obviously your Google, my business rankings. What have you seen any specific types of links that have had a greater impact than others or some that maybe you shouldn't even focus on? Yeah, so we have a we have a client um, who's kind of obviously a lot of personal injury lawyers or specialties car accidents. So something I found that is interesting, they have a really, really, really large backlink profile. And um, when I look at the rankings, they rank pretty far away from their office for car accident lawyer, like really far away from their office, but not for any of the other variations. So the moment you start modifying it to like bicycle accident, motorcycle accident, truck accident, et cetera, that pattern we notice go just goes away. So I think there's kind of two reasons for that. One is that, you know, their, their hierarchy of their site, I mean, their homepage is optimized for car accident lawyers. So it, that's definitely one contributing factor, but I do think the topics that they write about and when they're doing like guest posting and things like that are really focused on car accidents. So I think that's something to kind of keep in mind. Like when you're link building the topics that you're talking about, you know, have a big impact. And if you're really trying to rank for a wide variety of keywords, um, you know, keeping that in mind and making sure that you're writing about those topics is key. Um, and we kind of see this with like slip and fall a lot like that, those keywords, we often find like there's one site that's just super hyper-focused on everything to do with slip and fall. And like when they're quoted places, that's all they talk about. Um, so that strategy works really well. So I would say like, you know, as far as what link building strategies, I'm sure your audience is probably familiar with a lot of the ones we use, but um, you know, when, when you are writing and publishing for other sites, which tends to be like the common thing we see the most these days, um, topically that, that makes a difference for sure. Got it. Well, thanks for sharing that. And yeah, I mean, talking about those thematic signals, I've definitely experienced that where, for example, I was working with a firm in California and they were everywhere for car accident and the word attorney but a lot of those variants were nowhere to be found. So maybe even auto accident or lawyer, lawyers, law firm. Um, so when you're optimizing for these different keywords, do you have a certain strategy in mind that, uh, that you work with? Or do you even consider those other variants or how important are those to you? Yeah, we, we obviously like prioritize the ones that bring in the volume. So um, that being sure. said, sometimes it's a lot easier to get ranking for like, uh, you know, long tail keyword. So we do try to go after kind of both. We have, you know, the strategies where we're trying to drive that head term, but then also know that there's some easy wins out there if you go after terms that not everybody's going after. So I think it's kind of important to do both. Um, and we usually have success from both. But um, I would say like, as far as, you know, what strategies to, to use if your main thing is, is car accidents and that's kind of like what you really want to focus on. Um, make sure that a lot of your efforts when you're link building and even like the way you do your internal linking makes that obvious to Google. Because um, that's one thing I see a lot of people that don't, they don't do it well. They just have way too many internal links and then they're all weighted equally. And it's like, well, if this is really more important to you, 
you should probably have more links on your site going to those pages and less links going everywhere else kind of thing. Got it. And could you, yeah, could you explain that or do you have a specific example um, just to help illustrate that point? Sure. So let's say I'm like, I go to a personal injury law firm's website and on their homepage, they have like an opening paragraph that, that has 15 internal links, like one going to their car accident page, one going to the bicycle accident page, one going to the football page. Like sometimes an excess is not a good thing because you're essentially kind of splitting your page rank, right? So if you think about it, like you have a hundred points and then every single page you link to gets those points divided up equally. Uh, you know, if you get 10 links, then each one gets 10. But if you only have five, then each one gets 20. So we've seen um, some good results from just kind of fine tuning internal linking and um, making sure that the really important pages are getting more passed to them. Mm -hmm. No, and that's really solid advice. And um, that's probably an area that I think most law firms can improve upon. They get so obsessed maybe with like, hey, I need more links or I'm not getting the number of links when they have maybe some really powerful pages on their website that aren't even linking to these very important pages. Um, so I think that's really solid advice that people could take right now and make an have an impact on their own website. And yeah. could you talk a little bit about anchor text as well? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, anchor text is one of those things that um, it, with internal links, like you can feel free to use as, you know, whatever keywords you want. Like there's nothing against Google's guidelines about um, keyword stuffing your anchor text on your site. Um, so, and I think Google even says that like openly, they're like, you know, that's tell us what this page is about. That's helpful. Um, you know, and um, I think obviously when you're publishing on other sites, you got to be careful. Um, I think there's some things that look natural and some things that don't. So, you know, if you're talking about car accidents, hyperlinking the word car accidents is fine. But if you're like car accident lawyer in Dallas, Texas, that might look weird depending on, you know, who's editing the article. Um, so it's, I, I would say, you know, on your own site, use it as much as you want, but on other sites, uh, be kind of cautious. Got it. Thanks, Joy. And yeah, that's the clickable part of a link um, where you can, you know, have whatever words you want in there. So um, yeah, I like I really like the idea of taking advantage of that internal. And I do think more people need to utilize that. Let's shift a little bit to talk about proximity. Um, you know, I think that for, for one, standard ranking reports, in my opinion, can be a little misleading because if I'm searching from my office for a keyword, uh, and Google knows where I am, that proximity factor is probably going to weight my office as a strong result there. So what, I guess, is proximity and how can, and, and let's start off with what the standard, if you have any insight as to like, what, what's the standard ranking proximity you get for your law firm from day one, for example, I just created a listing and we'll talk about how that expands moving forward, but. Yeah. So if it's like a brand new office, we normally see, you know, right away, you'll, you'll rank when people are, are within, you know, like a mile radius from your office, let's say. Um, and we use Places Scout to track this because they have a grid feature where you can literally say, okay, I want to track 20 miles from this point. And then it just plops down pins and it scans as if it was a person searching from that location. Um, and you can adjust the settings or whatever. But I would say, um, you know, this really varies a lot. Like, like I was mentioning that, car accident lawyer case that we, we work on where they rank really far from their office. Like I think their, their report is set to scan like 50 miles away and they actually do rank like 50 miles away from their office. But that being said, it depends on, you know, where you are in his case, he's right on the edge of a big city. So a lot of where he's ranking are suburbs where there's not a lot of competition 
if you're, you know, right downtown Chicago and you're expecting to rank for a 20 mile radius, you're up a creek. Like there's, there's just no way that's going to happen. Um, so it has a lot to do with competition, which is why, like, if you're a restaurant, for example, proximity is huge because you have like a new restaurant on every block or several. Um, so it's just crazy. And so the proximity mm. factor is way higher. And as a restaurant, you're not going to likely rank very far away. Um, with a law firm, it's, um, it is a factor, but it is way less of a factor than we see for other industries. So it's definitely possible to rank outside your kind of immediate area, but it takes authority mainly like, you know, links and good content. Um, and I would say time too, as well. Time is definitely a factor. Um, we've seen this time and time again, when we set up a new listing and we don't even really do much with it. Um, and then over time it still gains ranking. Got it. Okay. And let's elaborate a little bit more on proximity. So, well, first of all, do you talk to potential new clients that don't under have a fundamental understanding that they may not be ranking for the keywords that they're searching, where their clients are searching from? Do you still find that as a barrier or? Yeah. So we actually published a article recently about rank tracking um, where I actually gave a client email that we got because it comes up all the time. Like people will be like, Oh, I don't see myself here or there or whatever. Um, so the first kind of step that we do is when we first take on a new client, we always start by doing an audit. And part of our audit is literally showing them how they rank in a grid. So saying like, yes, you rank here and here, but oh wait, 10 miles away, now you don't rank anymore. And now you're seventh instead of fifth. And you'll kind of see that pattern where the further you get away, the lower the rank, right, in general. Um, and then it's not the same across all keywords. So that's a huge thing to keep in mind. Like your relevance for one term might be super high, I've seen people have single results. So sometimes if Google has one result that is just way better than the rest, they only show one, they don't show three. Um, and we have seen mm -hmm. cases like that, especially for slip and fall terms. I don't know what it is about those terms. We've seen cases where one business can be the only result for an entire city, like a huge city. Um, and it's weird, it, it sounds crazy, but the relevance is just so much higher. So they have more relevance because like, in some of the cases I looked at, it was actually in their domain name. Like the domain name literally had slip and fall in it. Their content on the site was all about slip and fall. The reviews, obviously similar. Some of them even have it incorporated into their business name. Um, so, you know, mm. relevance plays a, a, a much larger role than proximity does in a lot of these cases we've seen for law firms. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. I remember uh, for a while for motorcycle accident lawyer, I saw it in the Bay Area because there's a firm there. I think it's Russ Brown, Motorcycle Accident Lawyers. It's the actual name of their firm. And so off and on, that one's triggered uh, to be the only result sometimes. They, they seem to have fixed that now, but it reverts back every now and then. And another thing that I've seen, I'm wondering if you've seen, is where, let's say my office is downtown in a city, and then right around the office, I'm actually not ranking that well for whatever reason. And then outside of that, I am ranking very well. So it's not, you know, like a true circle, um, but, you know, kind of more blotchy, I guess, or yeah, so we've actually done testing around this too. Like once you get outside a certain area, and I don't know if it's it's based on state lines or like I haven't looked at it that carefully, but like, for example, if I search um, Carps and Lawyer Los Angeles and I search from within Los Angeles, I will see very different things depending on where I'm at in the city. But if I search it from Baltimore, I'm gonna see the exact same thing as if I search it from Chicago. So once you get outside, let's just say your state, cause I know that's true. Um, Proximity is in factor. So if you want to know how somebody's relevance and um, uh, 
kind of importance, prominence, um, how strong those two signals are without proximity, do some out-of-state searches and you'll see um, what that business looks like and how they rank without the location in mind. Got it. Okay. Well, now that we've touched on proximity, let's talk about the thing that I think most people see every day, uh, and that's the business name. And is it a good idea to just randomly add keywords to your business name? Because it seems to work pretty well right now still. Yeah, so it's risky. I mean, so the pros are that, yes, you will see ranking improvements overnight. Like, you will. Um, I actually just had uh, sent an email right before this to a business owner that was, um, he, he had asked me to help him with something where he, was, he couldn't figure out why his ranking was fluctuating. And he asked me to track it over the course of several weeks. And so I did. And you'd see these fluctuations where he would go and kind of steadily be in the, the top and then he would fall to three or four and then go back. And so I looked and I looked in detail, spent like an hour or two on it. And what I found from looking back in the screenshots and comparing notes was that a couple of his competitors would add keywords to their business name, then they would get fixed. And that would literally shift the order of the, the results. So when I say it has a big impact, it was like my number one factor on the local search ranking factor study that I just completed. I put it as number one. Like I've never seen another factor have such drastic impacts. It's ridiculous. So that aside, to answer your question, um, I do think it's risky uh, to add keywords in there because you could trigger a suspension on your listing. But like, you know, if I was a lawyer and I was in a small town and I didn't think a lot of people were looking, I'd probably do it. I mean, honestly, I'm just saying like the, the benefits are huge. No, so yeah. I think you're a lot more likely to get away with it in maybe like areas where people aren't looking as often. But if you're like, you know, in Los Angeles, probably won't get away with it when your competitors report you and you'll likely get suspended. And is it true that they're working on maybe making that not as big of a factor? <laughs> I wouldn't hold my breath. Uh, I mean, they say they are, but they've been saying that for quite a long time. And I also think it's a problem for them because I don't think that Google has the ability yet to really distinguish between branded searches and non-branded searches. So like, that's a problem. I mean, mm -hmm. if someone's brand name includes keywords um, or like the words people are searching for, Google doesn't want to return an, another business for that search. So, uh, you know, imagine searching Starbucks exactly. and getting like some other coffee place instead or searching McDonald's and getting Wendy's. That would be a problem. So I think until Google can mm -hmm. really get better at knowing what's a branded search and what a business name is, that they're never going to be able to solve that. Got it. Okay. Well, I won't hold my breath on that because I know I've been saying that um, for years just from chatter that I've heard. And uh, yeah, so I still haven't seen anything in practicality. So I guess we'll see. Um, oh, but what about the, um, I don't know if you're inside with this, but I think Tom Waddington had posted something about the upgraded Google My Business profile. Is that associated with LSAs or uh, what's your local search ads or what is that about, if you know anything about that? Yeah, so it's a really limited test. Like, well, I haven't seen it at all. Um, so if you happen to get it as an option on your listing, you're one of the few, um, I would say maybe 1% or less. But um, it is, what's really cool about it that I, I think is actually different than, and you know, I, I definitely want to defer to Tom for this, but it actually shows the Google guaranteed label in the three pack, which is really crazy. Like I've never seen local service ads do that. It's a separate section and it is a really visible section. But with this one, the screenshot Tom had in his article. So on TomWaddington.com, there's an article about this and the screenshot used literally had Google guaranteed as a green label on the listing in the local pack, like in the three pack. And that to me, it's crazy. Like that is really uh, visible and it's on the organic side, not the paid side. So like, 
I mean, I would jump mm-hmm. all over that if I could trigger it as an option. Yeah, that would be a clear differentiator between you <laughs> and uh, the other ones in the pack. Right? I mean, Google it'd be interesting approval. to see a click-through study on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then right before we start talking about this, one of the other things I meant to touch on too was spam fighting. Cause you would mention, you know, people can go and change their business name. Other people might change it back. You might get suspended. Um, so if I'm a law firm in a competitive area and I see people spamming the listings, should I report that? Should that be a part of my strategy at all? What's your opinion there? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, if you don't report it, um, they're basically going to continue to have that insane advantage over you. And it's, it's insane. It's, it's a huge advantage. So um, we've seen, you know, really positive results from getting that stuff fixed. Um, so if you see a, uh, you know, business name that's wrong, submitting it through Google's got a form called the redressal complaint form. <laughs> so if you Google that, you should hopefully get the form. And um, that's, the way that you want to send it to the Google team. And depending on the backlog, they normally process them um, anywhere from a week to three weeks is normal. Um, it's also good to, to watch for lead gen listings. It's another thing we've seen um, hugely increase in the last couple of weeks in the personal injury space. Um, so companies that just create fake listings, they're not real law firms, but they rank really well because they keyword stuff them. Um, so you'll see something like, you know, the Mraz awesome accident lawyer group and uh, it doesn't have a website. <laughs> so those are important to report too. And we see them come in waves, like whoever creates these, creates them in mass. So we see thousands of them kind of pop up overnight. Yeah, and I know a company tried to sell them to me in the past, several have actually, um, nice. even since then. And how do they get that auto verification? Is that how they're doing this? I mean, that's kind of what they explained to me. So I assume so, but. Yeah, like I'm always, so I know some of their strategies. Um, there's there's a team of people I know that are very interested in finding out what strategies these people are using. Personally, I, I don't care because whatever it is, Google picks up on it. They, they can see, right? Google can see all this stuff on the back end. And once they see a thousand listings were created through this method, they know what they need to go after. The problem is this, this, mm. this group, they're smart and they try everything and they, they have, you know, VPNs. They've got like, Massive amounts of people behind this. I'm guessing a lot overseas, but you know, it's an assumption. And they're always kind of like three steps ahead of Google. So, you know, by the time Google's kiboshed the current method, they're already on to like trying to find another one, another loophole. And they, they've yeah. over the years exploded several. So it's not been like the same process they're using every time. Got it. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about the risk of suspensions briefly a little bit earlier. I've seen, you know, people get suspended for, uh, quite a long time, but then I heard a story as well. Not to mention any names, but <clears throat> you know, I know of different law firms that maybe were trying strategies that didn't work. That were definitely clearly against Google's guidelines. Got caught, reinstated, caught, reinstated, caught, reinstated, and then caught again and basically wiped out for maybe forever or for a long period, lot longer period of time. Have you heard of anything like that? Yes. So. I mean, Google definitely has levels, you know, there's levels. And I also think there has been loopholes with some of the reinstatements that people have learned and exploited. I've definitely seen uh, people actually talk about some of the loopholes they found and how to get reinstated. And I've heard firsthand people get fake listings reinstated. So um, I think it's one of those things, just like creating fake listings, Google is trying their best to keep this from happening, but it happens. So I mean, yeah, there's a good chance that you will see spam get reinstated. And although it's irritating, I would encourage people to keep reporting it. 
Is there any, what's the most serious suspension? Can you get banned for life? Is that a thing, BFL? Uh, I mean, if you're smart IP address, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> Google accounts definitely get banned. So, you know, if you have a lot of stuff tied to one Google account, that could be really frustrating. Like, this is one of the reasons why I won't spam as an agency. You know, if my customers are asking me about like, should I add keywords? I'm like, you can do what you want in your account, but I'm not doing that in my account. Like, because if my agency mm -hmm. account gets suspended and I have hundreds of clients that now have suspensions, that is a nightmare. So, you know, agencies should not do that. If you're a multi-location law firm and you don't want a headache, I would also say kind of pass the same advice to you. Um, but yeah, I think the account level suspensions are probably the worst case. I've never seen them ban a website, which I keep telling them they should do. Um, that would be great, in my opinion, if you've got like a repeat offender that just keeps creating new Google accounts, but uses the same site. But as far as I know, that mm -hmm. doesn't exist. Got it. And, you know, I've been seeing more tweets about the account level suspension. So I just want to cover that in a little bit more detail so people understand. From my understanding, you're saying that if you're working with a shady SEO agency, that's maybe they're not even doing this for you, but they're doing it for other clients, their whole account, which your business is wrapped up in, can get banned, which will suspend your listing. Is that correct? Yep. So we actually had a, a law firm like a couple days ago hire us to help with the reinstatement. And I'm looking at his listing. He had like seven people on there managing his listing. So I was nope. like, that's something you should never have. Like have as few people as possible managing your listing. So that way you're least likely to get hit with an account suspension. Because if you hired an SEO company six years ago and you forgot to remove them, they usually don't proactively remove themselves. Like, let's be honest, that that's not in their better interests or they don't care. No, yeah. Um, so if you don't remove them, then if they get an account level suspension, even though you haven't hired them or worked with them in six years, if they're on your listing, your listing can get pulled off Google and removed because of something they did. So definitely actively make sure your list of managers or owners on your listing is small and people you know are not shady. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's great advice. And I think that's something that everybody should check right away and see who has access in your Google My Business, because especially if you're an agency jumper and you've been through five or six agencies over the years, you know, that's you can just get hurt by association there very easily. So um, and then one last question, just talking about bad things that law firms shouldn't do. <clears throat> I, it's amazing how many times people ask me can't I just open a virtual office in all of these cities that I want to compete in? And there's somebody in particular that I'm thinking of that calls me once a year to explain why the strategy is now better. Anyway, trying to do it. Why is that? Obviously it's against Google's guidelines, but um, you know, what are the, what are the risks there, I guess, of doing that? And what, what's your overall take on that? I mean, it's just so easy to see the trend, right? So, I mean, it, like, if you want to be a good spammer, it's better to hide your stuff, right? So, I mean, if Google sees that you've got, you know, 15 offices and then every single one they can verify is a virtual service provider, that's a really easy pattern for them to just go press a button and you lose 15 listings. Like, so I, I don't suggest the virtual office route. Um, it is against guidelines for sure. Um, and, and no having, you know, the staff at the virtual office as you know, sitting there on the desk so that they can be your clients. That does not qualify. It has to be your staff. You have to actually have somebody going there. So, I mean, like, honestly, if you want to expand, just have a small office that you have like two or three people in or one. I mean, it doesn't even really have to be a giant, you know, office that you spend thousands upon thousands of dollars furnishing. Um, a small, nice one with, with photos and signs and stuff. And yeah, it, it definitely costs a bit. 
I'm not saying it's free, but it, it is a good marketing strategy if you're looking to expand your firm and get more leads. Um, yeah, so I mean, there is a right way to do it. I just would not suggest the, what the dude's telling you. <laughs> Got it. No, I appreciate that. And I appreciate your uh, candidness there too. So very cool. Awesome. Well, we really talked about a lot today, Joy. Is there anything that I missed that you wanted to cover with our audience, uh, you know, which again is, of course, attorneys whom you work with as well, um, that we didn't cover today? Yeah. I mean, the one thing I just keep an eye on inside Google My Business is the attributes section. So on the info tab, they have this like sections, it's called amenities. Sometimes it's called attributes or just more information. Um, they're constantly adding new features uh, because of COVID. So lately they've added like appointments required. They've added online appointments, like all these things that you can add to your listing um, that show up really visibly in the search results. And depending on where you're located too, they have some healthy safety ones I would say are, again, depending on where you are, uh, fairly important. So you can like say if you have masks required or if you do temperature checks for staff, like that, that matters to some people. Um, so I would, I would keep a close eye on those because they've been rolling out tons of new things um, because of COVID way more than, than usual. Um, we have a list of them on our website uh, and push them out in our newsletter, but um, there's a, I think a free guide on there. That's like, uh, it's called like local SEO changes and it's in our, our menu, but um, I would definitely keep up with kind of the changes that Google's making. Awesome. Well, and if you want to find this, what's your website? And again, the best ways to contact you, because I know that I can, you know, uh, you're going to mention your website here in a second, but I'll say there's tons of just great information on there. So you should definitely check it out. Yeah, so our website is sterlingsky.ca, um, and then there is a free resources section at the top where you can see the timeline of, of changes. So we update that weekly to kind of put all the new stuff, but we also push it out in our newsletter. So you can subscribe to our newsletter at sterlingsky.ca slash newsletter. Um, and if you have a question for me specifically, um, I'm most active on Twitter. So my Twitter handle is at Joyanne Hawkins. Awesome. Well, Joy, thank you again so much for joining me today. Look forward to uh, getting this published and uh, we'll definitely send any questions your way that come towards the podcast. Thank you very much.